Today's reading comes from Acts 24, verses 1 through 9. And after five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and a spokesman, one Tertullus. They They laid before the governor their case against Paul. And when he had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, Since through you we enjoy much peace, and since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, reforms are being made for this nation in every way and everywhere, we accept this with all gratitude. But to detain you no further, I beg you in your kindness to hear us briefly. For we have found this man a plague, one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world and is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to find out from him about everything of which we accuse him. The Jews also joined the charge, affirming all of these things were so. This is the reading. This is God's word. I take it. Hey, let's uh, pray together. Bow your heads, please. Lord Jesus, uh, thank you for giving us the opportunity to shout out to you that you're good. You're worthy of that. Uh, You're worthy of that and more. Uh, We pray that you would give us that grace to allow those words that we're singing to be part of our heart expression to you. And we would even show that right now as we passionately desire to hear from you, Jesus, from your word. So, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would guide our time. You would free our minds from what we want to get done and the things that are maybe there might be some heavy stuff going on in our life. Lord, we pray you would give us perspective that you are worth the time to sit down and hear from God. So we pray for that, Jesus. Holy Spirit, guide the time. Use me by your grace, Lord. Would you allow me not to just be up here just talking, uh, not trying to do things in my own strength, trying to provide and get opinions to be favorable on my side, Lord. I pray that this would be about uh, me being on the Lord's side and me being about you, Lord. I pray for that, uh, that I would be more concerned about you being exalted than people liking me even. Lord, I pray for that. That's only going to happen by your grace. So, Lord, allow this time to be just enjoyable as we get this to sup uh, at the true living word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated, fam. And let's go ahead and rock some stuff out as we are in Acts 24. If you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. Pastor Leon uh, will pass the Bible out to you as we see every week. The reason why we do a couple of things, if I can share. First, the reason why we read the scriptures um, as much as we can before uh, teaching begins uh, is so that we can hit that balance of like getting uh, the whole pericope, knowing what's going on in that particular story, and then going back through it, doing what we call exegesis. is, is basically figuring out uh, what the author's original intent was for those first century Jewish people as we were in the New Testament. Um, that's our heart behind that. So you hear the whole story and we go back through it again. Um, that's, we're very convinced that that's, uh, God wants us to understand his word. And also uh, we hand out Bibles for you because we want you to get used to being in the scriptures, reading God's word. Uh, we, I mean, again, we put it up on the screen. But what we don't want you to do is become kind of spiritually lazy, right? And uh, we just kind of give it to you on your screen. And everywhere you go, you just kind of get the Bible. Then it, it, it almost kind of deters you from being at home, learning how to be studiers of the word yourself. So what we're trying to do is we want you to be getting the word up front, right? But also going through your Bible and writing stuff, you know what I'm saying? And circling stuff. And as, you know, some of my, my lady friends will make little clouds around the Holy Spirit and all this stuff, right? We want to do that so we can be like learning and getting used to to diving into word, okay? So we don't want you to be uh, biblically illiterate, especially on our watch. You know what I'm saying? Because I don't want God getting mad at me talking about y'all walked out of here not knowing your Bible. Okay, so so if you need a Bible, let us know. Uh, we would love to give you one. Um, that's that's totally cool. We totally hook you up, but we want people to uh, to be in God's word. 
We are in Acts 24 right now. We've been going through Acts for over a year. Um, man, it's been a year and some months. I, I don't even know how long it's been now. But uh, praise the Lord, right? Um, God's word is good, and we're learning from, um, by God's grace, hopefully the Lord. And uh, we'll be in Acts until the end of uh, July, and then we'll hit uh, a brief series um, in August, and then we'll hit Exodus. So I'm really excited about all what's going on in our local body. And while all doing all that, we'll be on mission throughout the summer, making much of Christ in our community. Uh, praise Jesus. So uh, actually for, um, man, you've hit a moving train. Sorry if you're a visitor here. At the same time, uh, we hope that this, this sermon in itself uh, will bless you and you would feel encouraged and hear more about how God is, who God is, learn more about God's character and more about hopefully who Jesus is as we talk about the Lord, our God, and hopefully that will lead you to Christ. That's our heart is that people leave here and they want to follow Jesus. Um, Acts, big book, um, uh, 28 chapters. Uh, we, uh, if I can give you a brief snapshot of the book of Acts, if you're familiar with the Bible, there's like these, what we call four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then you have uh, the next book uh, is Acts. Okay. It's the, they call it the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the Holy Spirit, because God is doing all kinds of stuff between all kinds of people. Uh, himself and people that he's created. And uh, what was happening is uh, you had Luke, who's actually the author, um, the same guy who wrote the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, actually wrote Acts as well. He wrote in the beginning um, as one canon, okay, uh, one book. And then uh, as time went on, he, uh, they changed it to two books. So you have Luke and Acts. Uh, Luke's whole heart behind that was to kind of convince uh, a, 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 a Greek uh, socialite uh, that he should become a Christian, okay, a powerful Greek dude named Theophilus, and saying, look, I just want to, I want to give you the story of what happened in my journey as I'm witnessing this stuff. I'm a doctor and I'm checking this stuff out. And I want to tell you, Jesus is real and you should give your life to him because he created everything. The Bible says both created things and uncreated things. The Lord has made them both. Uh, and so you should give your life to this man because actually not only did he create everything, but actually that sin problem you have, that problem that we see in evil, that problem that we have with Satan and all this stuff and death and all these things that we kind of, kind of plague us. Well, actually this Jesus dude, he dealt with all that. And so you want to come to him because if you don't, you're going to have to deal with all that, right? So that's kind of his, his framework. And isn't that all of our frameworks, right? As we, as Christians, as we proclaim the gospel, that's really the issue, right? Is you have a problem and there's only one person who dealt with it, God himself, right? And so he, he's trying to convince this guy and what he's trying to do, he shows them the life of, of the, well, actually the life of Jesus. And then you get toward the end and you get to see uh, Jesus down across and uh, the disciples not knowing what's going on. And he rises from the dead and they're all excited. And then we enter into the book of Acts, which deals with the ending of Luke, but also the beginning of Acts kind of where you see Jesus, he rises from the dead. He's kind of hanging out and talking with the disciples. They're excited because, oh my goodness, Jesus actually rose from the dead. So now what's up, Jesus? Jesus says, hey, I am God. Now you realize that I want, to, I want you to go and make worshipers of this land that every person deserves to know me and worship me because I am God. Like that's who I am. I deserve that worship. Make that a reality, right? He goes out and, and, and wants these guys to proclaim him. But he says, hey, I want to make sure that you're filled with the spirit, that you don't do this in your own, in your own flesh, that you're empowered. So God gives the Holy Spirit and actually the church um, begins to grow. Church begins to grow. Uh, the church begins, God begins to deal with sin in the church. He begins to show that he's serious about holiness. He begins to raise up leaders to do supernatural things. So we're seeing all these things that only God can do. In, uh, in, in, in history to, to validate that his movement is real, right? That's what he's doing by giving us all these supernatural miracles. 
While this is happening, persecution happens as well. So God is real, but guess what? Satan desires to lie and to help you feel like, man, maybe, you, maybe, maybe Jesus isn't on the throne, right? That's basically our daily lives. You kind of wonder sometimes looking at your journey and your brokenness and seeing evil in the world. And you kind of question, really, if Christ is on the throne, right? And then Jesus' whole point of what he does in life is to re- just to remind you that he is on the throne. So there's persecution that hits the church. Uh, things get crazy, but the church continues to grow. The main persecution comes from one guy who's extremely powerful, a guy named Saul. Saul is a Pharisee. He's part of the Sadducee. Uh, he's part of the Sanhedrin, which is a group, group of leaders, both made up of Sadducees and Pharisees and elders and all this. And he's part of this group. He's one of the most learned men uh, in the New Testament history and ends up being probably uh, the most influential New Testament author uh, in, in history as far as, in, as far as New Testament is concerned. He, who was murdering Christians, and, and I try to show throughout our time here, I try to give us hopefully another different portrait of, of Paul. I wanted us to see it wasn't like there was like a hundred Pauls. And I feel like when we read the Bible, we can think there was this, Paul was just like, that's what Pharisees did. They killed Jews. They killed, they killed Jewish people who wanted to be Christians. But I want to propose to you that's not the case. Paul was like, I mean, he was like a, a G, right? He was like one of the guys... Um, out of all the Pharisees who was like, I'm going to take it to the next level. I'm going to show that I'm serious about Yahweh and I'm going to go and find Christians and murder them. I'm going to get the decree from the government of the people of that day, the Jewish government, and I'm going to go and find and kill Christians. Just to show you that, G- that Jesus didn't just bring to life a dead dude who kind of didn't like Christians like everybody else. Like there was just a group of them. But he brought to life one of the main proponents of people who were trying to destroy Christianity. Okay, one of the most powerful people in first century. Okay, so we try to paint that picture for you as we look at Paul. Hopefully you'll see Paul in that light. Paul gets saved, becomes a Christian. All of a sudden, whole life changed, which, by the way, I keep plugging that, that NBC um, special that's going on right now, the Bible AD. The only reason, because I think, and I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if these guys are believers or not, but I think they've done a good job with understanding, like, the power of Paul and intensity of his witness. Um, so I want to encourage you to check that out if you get a chance. Don't think I'm quoting everything about NBC, all right? I'm just saying I saw that part, and I thought... Man, that's pretty, that's pretty accurate. I think we get it wrong sometimes in evangelicalism. Paul was, was one of the craziest. Paul gets saved, becomes a Christian, starts to preach the gospel, and then we see him take what we call these missionary journeys. And so now the whole known world is beginning to hear about Christianity. People are falling in love with Jesus. He's going first to the Jews in the synagogues, but then he's going also to the Gentiles. That's any person who's not a Jewish person. And he's helping people see that the gospel is for everybody. That it's not just for those who are religious, who have a great pedigree, who have a great spiritual lineage, but he's saying it's for straight up people who absolutely hate God because it's always been for people who hate God because everybody stars out hating God and then God puts his spirit in your heart to love him. Right. So, so, so that, that kind of messed with the Jews, though. When you think you're awesome, and all of a sudden God says, no, actually, you're just as evil as the other person, that gets you kind of frustrated, right? Because we like to feel good about ourselves, right? And so, so, so that's what's going on. Paul does three missionary journeys, right? He goes 1,400 miles, 2,400 miles, and 2,800 miles, and he's preaching the gospel, and he does these loops again. He preaches the gospel. People become Christians. He preaches the gospel again and disciples people, and then he continues to have three opportunities where he has um, riots happen to him where he almost gets killed. And so we've been looking at that the last couple of months where he gets beat down, and he gets questioned, and he's about to be flogged, and all these things are happening to him. And so all of a sudden now we end those journeys, those three missionary journeys, and now we're in this fourth journey to Rome. 
Now, during this time, he goes to prison. He's going to go, I'm sorry, he's going to experience prison in kind of three places, right? So he starts off in prison in Jerusalem. We've already seen that. Right now, he's in prison in Caesarea, okay? And then finally, he'll end, obviously, in Rome where, where he'll be killed, okay? And this is all for Jesus Christ. And this is a guy who was one of the most prominent, prominent uh, religious, socialite individuals in the day. All right. So now we're in Acts 24. Last week we saw them bring this guy to Caesarea. And now we're going to see what happens when, uh, when they come. Remember we talked to the haters who tried to kill him. They're now coming. They're following him because they went to that place and said, where's Paul? We want to deal with this guy. And, and Felix said, actually, I took him, I, mean, I, I took him to Caesarea. I took him. I took him to Caesarea. So you need to go there, get your crew together, and go accuse Paul there in Caesarea, okay? So that's where we're at now. And as you're reading, we always say, um, ask yourself, what's happening? From the mindset of a first century Jew, what's happening here? How would you be feeling as you listen to this, this, uh, this discussion of uh, basically this historical account of what happens in Paul's life? How would you be thinking? How would this encourage you in your faith? Now, we're verse 1, and then we're going to go all the way through. We can't go through the whole chapter, so it's going to be kind of a commercial break. I can't give you the real big picture yet. I'll even give you up to verse 9. Then we're going to take a brief pause. You ponder it. You talk about it in that group. Then we're going to come back and finish the chapter, okay? That's what we had to do it today, or we'd be here all night. So let's start uh, in chapter 24. Okay, guys, we're verse 1. Uh, you ready to rock? You ready to rock? All right, got your Bibles open? Cool. Um, Verse 1, after five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and a spokesman, one uh, Tertullus. They laid before the governor their case against Paul. All right. So he's in his third tour. Um, you know, basically, he's, he's, he's done a prison thing in Jerusalem, Caesarea. Now he's, he's in Caesarea. Uh, he's spent a few days in, in Jerusalem. He's going to spend probably, as he's in prison right now, he's going to spend probably a couple years, I think historians say, in Caesarea. And then he's going to end up in, um, in Rome. Now, notice here, the high priest Ananias and these guys, they come down, they have a spokesman. And uh, they get kind of a deputation from the Sanhedrin. So this is interesting. Remember last week we joked about the fact that... These guys last week said, hey, um, religious leaders, pastors, hey, godly people who are supposed to be protecting the land, can we go ambush Paul and can you help us kill him? Remember? And I said, that's kind of weird that somebody felt good that they can go to a pastor and ask the pastor to, to, to help them murder somebody. Right. And that actually speaks to the crazy people who are trying to murder the guy. But it also speaks to the character of the pastor. Right. It speaks to the character of the religious leader. If y'all came to me and said, hey, you know, we really don't like that Sam moved into Alden Towers. So after church, pastor, can you help me and 30 of us? We're going to stand out in the bushes outside of Waldorf. And when she's walking down the street, we're going to try to kill her. Right now, the mama won't like that much, okay, because she's here visiting, making sure there's good doctrine in the church. Can't kill a daughter on a day when she's trying to find there's good doctrine. And then you got Sam, who's living here, right? That's kind of bizarre, right? If I say, yeah, that's cool, there's something wrong with me, right? So, so the, the discussion should have been real quick, right? When someone asks a pastor, the discussion should be like, no, right? And then they go, okay, sorry, right? That's, that should have been a discussion. But for some reason, there wasn't, that wasn't the end, right? So, so basically, I want to get in our minds the character of the day. Understand the character of the religious leaders of that day. You follow me? This is where they're at. Is that they're so frustrated with Paul that they're willing to do just super ungodly things that we're even going to see today to get him killed. Now, you know what that tells me? That we were sitting here laughing, thinking that's just, obnoxious, that's just crazy. But that, that's humbling, 
That means that any one of us can get to that place. Because these guys are smarter than you. (laughs) They're smarter than me. They know more Bible than all of us. Right? They know more traditions. They've been faithful to Yahweh for years. And yet, they get to a point where they're like, well, here, what what are we going to do? Right? E. Well, I would say that religion, religion, okay. So even to say, well, were they all faithful to Yahweh? Well, he said, were they faithful to Yahweh? And I think it's a good question. I guess the question is, were they all faithful to Yahweh? Because what you, what, one thing I realized is as I study is that religious, religiosity is a monolithic, right? So they weren't all evil. They probably weren't all unfaithful to Yahweh. I'm sure there was kind of a mixture of individuals. But what I do know is that even if they weren't faithful to Yahweh, they had done all the religious trimmings that all of us could only dream of. Right, to even be part of the Pharisaical framework, you had to memorize the Pentateuch, right? The first five books of the Bible. So try that for a Bible study exercise, okay? <laughs> so my point is that maybe they were, because Jesus, he's talking about Jesus says, well, they rejected the, the weightier matters of the law. But a lot of these guys, including Paul, because if he's talking about Pharisees in general, he was talking about Paul too. But I am convinced that Paul was killing Christians. He thought he was absolutely faithful to Yahweh. That he probably, he probably thought, I'm doing the right thing. And Jesus was talking about that group. So I'm proposing that Jesus is talking about that group. There's some guys who are Pharisees who are just straight evil. And there's some guys who are just going through and trying to be faithful to Yahweh. So it's not monolithic. So I think a, a better or fair assessment is that, they, that all, all these religious leaders probably at least had a framework where they, they wanted or they had all the religious trimmings of being a good religious person. Some were probably jacked up and some were, were not kind of deal. I think that's a fair assessment. So thank you, my friend. So you have this, they get deputized. So these guys get deputized by the Sanhedrin to actually go. Because they can't just go and say, we're going to go and follow Paul. They can't do that, right? So they get deputized by the religious leaders and say, we're going to send you guys to go. Right? And so now let's look at the group here. If you, if you got your Bibles, you can circle or highlight. I mean, the whole, you have high priest Ananias first, right? Um, and then you have this guy, I love this, it came down, you have some elders, uh, and it says, and a spokesman. So the elders were probably the leaders we talked about. You had community leaders within the Sanhedrin. So these were, again, leaders of different tribal uh, areas who actually kind of sat on the Sanhedrin to kind of govern, basically, uh, the Israelites, okay? And then you have this guy, uh, Tertullus. <laughs> uh, begin, it says, uh, who, who, who is this guy, right? Well, this guy, Churchill, is actually probably a Hellenistic Jew. I say that because, um, because of his, his name. So he probably was a Jewish person who was like basically a socialite who had been Hellenized. What I mean by that is that basically you had Jews who lived around. And then what happened was you had Alexander the Great came and kind of conquered the known world uh, during the intertestamental period. Uh, this is the period before you see the Gospels being written. Okay, and then what happened is that they kind of Hellenized, they made the whole world kind of Greek. So if you wanted to be somebody, then you learned Greek ways, okay? You became kind of a Greek kind of person. All right, so when you hear about people being a Hellenized person, it's basically saying they took on Greek traditions, they took on Greek names, they probably learned Greek. So they were probably like, they were, you know, in our day and age, there'll be individuals who had the resources to kind of live in the suburbs and you kind of did a nice life, okay? 
these, this, is what, this is what it means here uh, to be a Hellenized Jew. So he was probably a very trained person. And I'm proposing, in essence, I can't, I'm trying to think of a, a way to, to liken who he was to today. He basically was their lawyer. Right. So, so in a nutshell, they're thinking we got to put this uh, this case against Paul. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to we're going to get our best lawyer and we're going to bring him and he's going to speak for us. So basically, this is kind of like the Jewish Johnny Cochran or something like that. You know what I'm saying? And he comes in and they're thinking we're going to get this brother and he's going to speak for us. Okay. And so here's what here's what he says. It says in verse two. And when he has been summoned, so then they don't they bring the crew, but he's the one who's going to talk for them. Um, it says Tertullus uh, or Tertullus began to accuse him saying, since you, and I love this, since through you, we enjoy much peace. And since by your foresight, most excellent Felix reforms are being made for this nation. In verse three, in every way and everywhere, we accept this with all gratitude. You see what he's doing there? You see what he's doing there? Right. I mean, can you, I, 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 love, I love the Bible for so many reasons, but don't you love when you read the Bible and you just see people just like us, man? I mean, it's, they're just shady and do stuff. You're you like, man, in the flesh, I would have done that too, right? And you just think like, man, it's, it's kind of refreshing because you know it's true, right? I mean, he just butters them up, right? It's just a straight up normal street butter up, Right? Right? He's just like, look, man, I want to get this brother on my side. So he starts out, oh, Felix, you are just awesome. Like, we, we just, like, I love this. And I love how, you know how, this for two things. First, I love how when you butter somebody up, um, that you, you know people don't care, like, if you tell the truth or not, because... This is like the furthest thing from the truth. And I love how we are as people that we are, we get, we are so conceited that even when someone is totally lying to you to get you to like them, we, and we can't even know that. We still like that you're doing that, right? Because he knows that these are absolute lies. You know, sometimes you butter somebody up and they be kind of true. And so you're like, well, maybe he's, yes, okay, I am kind of nice sometimes. But this guy, you have, if you, if you guys, for you history buffs, uh, there's a guy named Tacitus, who's a Jewish historian, and there's another guy named Josephus, okay? And these guys, um, the reason why Christians a lot of time bring these guys up, because these guys weren't followers, but they, but they understood, they, 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 they wrote the history down of what was going on during this day. And these guys say there's absolutely nothing nice they can say about Felix in antiquity. Like nothing. Like nothing. In fact... This guy actually killed a high priest, right? I mean, which is, which is like, that causes a revolt and a riot in, in, in Judaism, okay? This guy is like the furthest from this. So this whole concept in the beginning, for example, let me just break this down. He does it and says three things. Since through you, we enjoy much peace. You can't get further away from the truth. Tacitus says, um, I read one, I wrote one of, his, one of his things out. He says, they make a desert, talking about Felix, they make a desert and then they call it peace, that's in his antiquities, okay? His point is, this dude, what he does, he comes, he destroys things, he makes a desert land, and he says peace. In fact, the first century Jew never thought the Pax Romana, Romana was peaceful. Okay, that's, that was the, the, the word for Roman peace. Basically, Roman peace was only peaceful to Romans, okay? Because Romans would go, oh, you caused them problems, and they would just destroy a whole land and say, look, Pax Romana, there's peace. No one's messing with us anymore because they all dead. Right? So, so no one liked Pax Romana but Romans. Right? 
Then he goes on. So, so Tacitus is like, this guy is like super evil. He also says, I love this, says, and since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, reforms are being made for this nation. Reforms. So I was reading through Josephus and trying to do some research and going, no, there's not a reform that's mentioned uh, in antiquity. Total, not tr- there's, no, there's nine truths. And so I'm wondering, if, <laughs> is Felix sitting there like, reforms, really? I just, okay, I don't know. He knows he hasn't done anything, right? And then it says, um, and in every way we everywhere and everywhere we accept this with all gratitude, right? That he's, that he's like actually, that they're actually thankful, uh, which is not true, right? So, so to be, just to be really clear, his, this ferociousness of, of, of Felix's testimony is absolutely opposite of what they're saying here. So he's buttering them up, okay, guys? So he goes on and he says in verse 4, um, but to detain you no further, I beg you in your kindness to hear us briefly, right? I don't want to keep you long, so let me, let me just share real quick what, what this dude did so you can really hang, hurry up and make him guilty and kill him and we'll be all set. He's trying to like do the kind of Jedi mind trick, you know what I'm saying? It's like, we'll just, I'll say it quickly too and hopefully you agree with me and we'll be done. Verse 5, and we found this man, and here, here's what he um, has to say about Paul. Now, can I ask one question for you just keep in your heart as you read this? Um, it's a question at the end, but I'm going to bring it right now. Ask yourself this question. What, um, let me see here. What does a blameless life and a clear testimony get you? Right? Ask yourself that question. What is a, what is a life in Christ and a testimony that's radical for Jesus? What does it really get you? Right? Right? Because we all want a return on investment. Right? We all want to feel like, and that's why, that's why sometimes we get, we get mad at Christianity, right? Because you're like, man, well, if, if you're an overcomer, Jesus, and I'm with you, and I'm an overcomer too, and I'm co-heir with Christ, then why am I struggling? Right? You know why we think like that? Because we, we put some bad expectations on Christ. So let me just ask us the question as Christians and people who are wondering in here, do I want to be a Christian? I know about this religious stuff, but these, talk, these guys are talking about loving Jesus. Like, what does Christianity get you? All right? Store that in your heart. Let's see what it gives Paul. So this is your case against Paul. For we have found this man a plague. All right? That's one thing. One who stirs up riots among all the Jews, which is an opposition. This is what it means to be a plague, to stir up riots among the Jews. Throughout the world, and, it, and is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes, he even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. Right? So what are they doing? Let's this, this, this break this down quickly. So they first start out by talking about Paul, and they call him a pest. All right? And, and the reason why they're doing this is they're trying to, they're trying, he's trying to set up ways in general fashion to make them agree with them in a way that they might want to kill Paul. So the first way you do it is you say he, create, he creates acts of treason to Rome. Right? Well, how do you do that? This guy starts riots. You know y'all hate riots, Mr. Felix, right? You know that people get killed for riots because you, that can cause a usurpation of authority and you, Rome wants to keep it peaceful. And, but this guy, he's starting riots. But you notice he keeps it really general, right? You notice that the way he says it, right? This man, he doesn't talk about which riots. He doesn't tell you what he did because they know that he really, really didn't start the riot. Right. So he's trying to make him think, man, this guy cre- created acts of treason. Should I, did he do that? Should I kill him right now? 
So he's trying to make them think that he's going against the government. Now, the reason why this is, um, why I know Paul didn't do this, the reason why I know he didn't cause riots, is not only because it's not true and it's not cool, but it's not the Christian thing to do. Okay, Paul's a Christian. Now, the reason why I bring that up, this is a small commercial, because I love that he's saying something here that actually has a theological premise. And that is, what are Christians supposed to do uh, with the laws of the land? Oh, bam. And how are you supposed to treat the leaders who are over you? With respect and honor, right? So this goes against the very way that God has, has constructed and asked us as a people of God to act toward those who are in power, right? That we obey. To, to. Now, here's the thing. See, this, this concept, I bring it up briefly because do you think we've lost this concept so much in our, in our country these days, in our culture now? I tell you guys, as a pastor, this is one of the, <laughs> the biggest things that has broken me as a pastor is I've been a, a blown away at the gener- my generation and younger, most of you, who you absolutely don't care about authority. And that's our fault. That's my mama's fault, right? That's our older generation's fault. Something happened. But for some reason, the whole, and I'm talking about Christians, y'all. I ain't talking about unbelievers. I'm talking about people who walk with God. You, we, we, for some reason, there's been a displacement of that man. Older people and people who are in power over you, you're supposed to honor and respect. Guess what? Even if they're bad leaders, even if they're bad, Right now, what our excuse these days is, but he bad. I ain't gonna listen to him. He's stupid. Right, but you don't see that in the Bible. You know why? Because I want to propose to you one of the main ways you can worship God in this is not by dispelling bad authority, unless they make you do something ungodly. That they're asking you to do ungodly things. That's one thing, but they're asking you to do something that you don't agree with. Then you're just being arrogant and prideful. Because guess what? It shows I had a, my, my uh, guy who discipled me. He would, he would talk to me. He, he, he left uh, Miami, Ohio. And I was like, man, like, I love this dude. He had taught me everything I knew about Christianity. And he was like, Eric, I'm leaving. I'm going to Indiana. He's like, now I'm going to tell you something. You're kind of arrogant, E. I love you to death. But you're kind of arrogant. What I need you to understand is that true humility is that you can learn from anybody. So what I want you to do is we're going to give you another guy to disciple you. And I want you to shut up. And I want you to listen. Right? And I want you to know he's going to be different than me. He's going to have different skills, but he's your leader. I even have some practical. This is, this is practical. This is how we are. So Lauren and him had a, a value recital. Simple as this. The leader said, hey, we're going we're gonna to have all these people come. You can't take pictures. Now, we haven't done ballet three years now. We said, oh, there's one place you can take pictures. You can run up on stage. You know, you're posing with, the, with, the, with the, the background. You know what I'm saying? And you're just kicking it, right? So we're in this new place. They're like, look, first of all, we do tickets a whole different way. We do tickets like, like you're about to go see the U2 concert. That's a whole other issue. And then when you get here, we don't want you taking pictures at practice. We don't want you taking pictures at the rehearsal. I mean, at the rehearsal piece. I'm sorry, at rehearsal, when I say practice, at rehearsal, dress rehearsal, and we don't want you taking pictures, pictures, y'all, and we ain't talking filming, at the dance. Now, this is my baby girl. <laughs> this is my six-year-old baby girl. You understand? So, you know, I'm like, baby, I love you, Sarah Bear, but I got to step up because this leadership is wrong. <laughs> they just don't understand. This is my daughter. I got to take pictures. 
So Sarah looking at me like, but they said don't. I'm like, well, we just got to do what we got to do. You know what I'm saying? Hey, sometimes, hey, you look, you read the book of Daniel. He didn't know that was ungodly. Why you want, you know? And, and so I'm like, they want me to pay for it. And they want to pay 30 or 40 bucks for the DVD. 40 bucks for the DVD. I'm like, don't nobody know these girls? $40, the DVD, you know that DVD costs you a dollar. If that, you know what I'm saying? You know what the Lord was doing though? He was practically showing me something here. He was like, you're prideful. And the way you want to, if you want to worship me, you would trust me. Even if this is a bad decision, even if they're trying to get over financially, you would trust me that those are your leaders. Shut up and get behind policy. Period. You on the the field, soccer player, playing soccer. You see mamas and daddies jumping on the field, arguing with the ref, acting crazy. It's like, Talking to the coach, coach, you coaching wrong. All that really is is opportunity for you to worship God and say, he's the leader of the team. She's the leader of the team. Let me shut up. Let me trust God. You got a worker, you're working somewhere, right? And he's not, he or she is not doing the things you think you need to do to move the company forward, right? You in a church, come on now. And the things ain't happening the way you want, Right? God is saying, you want to worship God? You want to worship God? Obey your authority. Because that shows more of you trusting the Holy Spirit when you say, I'm going to submit to you because I submit to God. All right, that was a commercial. But you're feeling me. So, so my point is, he's like, man, this ain't how I pull. Like, this ain't how I roll because it's not godly. Right? This is not godly. Look what happens. He also says this whole concept of, of the Nazarene. There's many verses. If you ever want some, let me give you some addresses real quick about obeying authorities. Romans 13, verses 1 through 6. Check that out. Pretty cool. First Peter, uh, chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Um, Hebrews, chapter 13, verses 7 and, verses, and verse 17. Really good verses to ponder and process. Man, I just pray that we will recover as a culture, starting even at Mac. A culture where young people, man, will see it honors God to not be triumphal in your approach to life, but to submit and realize people know more than you. Amen. You know? Um, he says, uh, so he says, first, hey, they, they try to start a riot. Then he says, hey, but also, you know, if, that ain't go, if that's not going to work, and he's a ringleader of the, I love, of the sect of the Nazarenes. Now, the last cat who was called the Nazarene was who? It was Jesus in the, in, in the recorded book, right? Right, so he's like, I gotta, I really gotta connect this guy to Jesus, and I'm gonna do it with the birthplace and that whole thing. He's one of them Nazarene guys, right? So he tries to connect him there, saying he's uneducated, towny, you know, uh, gives him basically a slur there. That's what he's doing there, lumping him in. And, and what he's trying to do there, he's trying to say, hey, not only is he causing insurrection, but he's also kind of weird and crazy. You know, he do from the boonies, he do from off in the cut, you know. And he's coming up in here following that crazy dude. Remember that crazy dude? Y'all heard about him? He follows him. Yeah. And he, then he finally says, he even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him, right? And so in a nutshell, he, he, he ends by saying, okay, this guy was trying to do, do, cause insurrection in Rome. This guy, he's kind of he's crazy. But then also, he defiled the temple. Now, why is that good? Because if he can prove that he defiled the temple, then they can give him the power to take him away, and then they can kill him. 
Because remember, the way that the, that, that the Jewish leaders could actually put someone to death is when you defile the temple. Remember we talked about that a few weeks ago. So they're still trying to get that in there. So this is, I mean, so this guy's crafty. He, he's, he's hooking it up, right? Well, he goes on in verse 7 and says, please notice I mean, what I want to say. Actually, if you notice in your Bibles, turn to your Bibles. You notice something in your Bibles? You look at verse 6, and then what's the next verse in your Bible? Eight. Some of your Bibles, you might have seven, but I know in the ESV is eight. Um, it depends on the version, you'll have seven, but a lot of the Bibles um, have six and eight. So I wanted to, um, and I think I put in here, so if you notice this piece here that you see the, um, uh, the parentheses around, that, though, that is, uh, has been taken out of a lot of the Bibles because they're saying they don't think it's part of, of the historical manuscript. Now, the manuscript thing is a, is a can of worms. That I, I'm like, man, do I even open this here? This is going to be crazy. So, but basically the way that we get our Bibles is individuals um, in antiquity, people were, 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 were proclaiming these stories of God in, um, orally, and then they begin to write all these things down in early dates, right? So we would write down all these different, uh, these different, uh, like Luke, and then they would write, and then they would copy the writings, okay? And then as time went on, uh, these writings got misplaced and things of that sort, and so they begin to piece together the different manuscripts. And so what, what, what historians would do is they would put together the manuscripts, and when you had many manuscripts saying the same thing, you knew it was probably historically accurate. Okay, and then when you had some manuscripts saying very different things because you had people in that day who were kind of trying to be fake prophets, uh, you had individuals trying to add and trying to act like they were um, part of of the, uh, of of the inspiration of God's writing as an epistle. They're trying to they're trying to act like they were as such that you had individuals who had to look and read and say, actually, this doesn't make any sense here. You're part of the Essene sect, so I think you're trying to get in, so we're going to kick that out. And, and so you had a lot of people doing a lot of the hard work to actually piece together the canon. Now, what I want to propose to you, you can rest that we have the canon that's from the Lord. Why? Because it wasn't man trying to piece together the canon. It was God saying here, when, 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 when man was looking at stuff and saying this doesn't fit, that was God inspiring him saying, hey, no, here's what the canon is. Right? This is what the canon is. So, so what, what, what happens is you have a few places like in Mark 16 and even here where, where theologians are still wrestling with what is the text. Like, but I, I hope you're encouraged that people aren't trying to, you know, do the, you know, fake, like, you know, sleight of hand, but that you have theologians who have integrity throughout antiquity to say, here's the truth. Here's where we are. We don't know if this is part of the Bible or not. I think that's pretty, that's pretty cool. So what you have here is you have, it says in verse six, uh, what we read and, and this is kind of part of verse six is taken out and that is an intended to judge him according to our law. Uh, when Lysias, the military tribune, came on the scene and took him away out of our hands with great violence, ordering his accusers to come to you. By, right, then it goes on in verse 8. By examining him yourself, you'll be able to find out from him about everything of which we accuse him. The reason why I believe that it belongs um, in the Bible is because when it says in verse 8, and I notice it's a little academic. I'm sorry for that. Stick with me so that we can get to the meaning here, okay? But I wanted to make sure that I didn't bypass that because that's an important point a little academic here we go in verse 8 he says so by examining him for yourself right by examining him yourself you'll be able to find out from him about everything of which we accuse him right i would think it's weird if he's saying uh by examining paul yourself because if he examines paul then paul gonna say they lying 
right? <laughs> I would think, right? And so it would just be counterproductive to go, hey, let me tell you all this stuff about Maggie. And I know I'm lying. And then, hey, but ask Maggie. And, hey, Maggie, is that true? And she goes, no. Okay. That was easy, right? That doesn't make much sense. So I'm proposing, I think it does. I think that this text belongs there personally because I wonder if he's saying you can ask this guy, this individual about that, and he'll tell you. So, but again, there's people way smarter than me who, who agree to the other side. So I'm just going to be, be fair there. Go do that for you history buffs. Do a little research. That's what's going on. It doesn't change the meaning of the text. And that is simply that these guys are trying to figure out a way to make it really clear that this guy is a guy who needs to be persecuted and killed. Okay. Because of the sake of time, unless, um, let me keep rolling real quick and then we come back, try and come back if I can. He ends off by saying the Jews also joined in the charge, affirming that all these things were so. So check it out. I love that they fall, they fall in line with history, right? So what you do in history, and that's why Jesus talks about in Revelation, all the whole concept of the two witnesses, can't go there. The two witnesses piece is so important because Jewish people, when you accuse somebody, you had to have witnesses. So you see over and over again, that's what happens in the text. And here at the end, they go find false witnesses to kind of affirm what they're saying to be true. So they go and they get some false witnesses. And in verse 9, it says, these Jews, these other leaders joined in and said, yeah, we agree with those guys. Paul is this. Paul is that. Paul is this guy. And we've been reading the text. And so we know they're making stuff up. And they're absolutely lying. So what do you do with that? Right? Remember the question I asked? Remember the question I asked before? You're, you're, you're first in Jew, you're reading this. I don't know if they're coming to great conclusions because we haven't read the rest of the chapter, but I think one of the key morsels that I, my prayer is for us and you is to think about, man, here's a dude who, what he did with great graciousness was preach the gospel, right? Preached it fairly, aggressively, loved people, gave of himself, and you know what he got from it? He's gotten beat down really bad twice so far. Right? He's almost been a part of three riots. Right? We've seen him be carried out in a basket. <laughs> right? We've seen the Roman soldiers have to carry him out before. He's right now in his second prison. Right? He's going to eventually get murdered. And guess what the Bible says in the epistles? It says during some of his last times, everyone deserts him. Remember, it says, it says, everyone has deserted me and, and Demas is with me. If I believe, is that the text? Right? It says, everyone deserts him. The greatest theologian in the New Testament, next to Jesus. This is what he gets. He's written 13 books of the Bible. Maybe we could debate on one or two of them. I'm old school, I think 13. But the thing is this this is what he got. For walking with God. You think, well, maybe he's not that smart. No, he's a Pharisee. <laughs> he's way smarter than us. Let me read some verses to you to encourage you a little bit. If you think I'm just being emotional. Romans 8, verse 17 says, right? And if children, and if children, heirs also. This is talking about the people of God. Heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ. I mean, indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Right? Look what it says in, in some of the Gospels. This is Jesus. 
Matthew 5, uh, verse 11, famous verse. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Right? Look what 1 Peter 5 says in verse 10. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Are these suffering verses? Are these verses that are saying that this is what's going to be like? Look at this, Matthew 22. And also the same thing in Mark 13. Matthew chapter 10, verse 22. You, listen to this. Y'all ready? You will be hated by all because of my name. But it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. This says in verse 17 of, verse t- of chapter 10, Matthew. But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. Look at this, Matthew 23, verse 34. Therefore, behold, I am sending you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill. I mean, some of, you, some of them you will kill and crucify, will be killed and crucified. And some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. He's saying this is the journey of those guys that, that are going to come, right? Verse 24, chapter 24, verse 9. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. Now, I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer, right? I'm just interested in understanding what does a godly life get in us, Right? What is a passionate pursuit of Christ? What does God say is, is the result of that? Right? Why? Why does God say that? Why is it important for him to come clean like this? Right? Because, you know, my, my, I wonder if because I, as a pastor, if, if I don't get this, guess what I'm going to try to do? I'm going to try to make sure that I'm safe and I can still build God's kingdom. Right? I wonder, you know, my, my wife said the other day, and my friend said to me, he was part of a 10,000-member church. You know what he said? And we were talking, this was, like, this was like six years ago. We were talking about church planning, all this stuff. And he said, Eric, you know what's interesting? It's our church has 10,000 people. And I think he said, but about um, 800 or so um, actually give to the church. And then he said, out of the 800 or so people that give, only 300 are actually members. He said, Eric, how big is my church? You hear that? And I remember that stuck with me. Because it stuck with me because my, my awesome wife, as we were just talking about Jesus, she was just saying, you, you, you know, it, it, it seems like, you know, how did you say it, baby? You're like, it, it, that it actually speaks to the pride, right? Like my, your pride wants to have people, right? Your, pri- your pride wants to have people, but God wants a remnant. Amen. And it seems like the Bible is always talking about this concept of remnant. Is, is that my tripping? I mean, that's, and, and, I, and I wonder now, do you, we want to meet, you know, I want to see people hear the gospel, hear the gospel. But I wonder if some of that is about, man, look how cool we are. Wow, we are doing, right? Versus, hey, looking at this body and thinking, man, I will stack our people who are in discipleship up against anybody in the nation. Because you guys walk with the Lord, you're sincere, you're pursuing Christ, you're trying to live a godly, quiet life, and you're neighboring well in our community. Why, am I, why do I get nervous that we're not 2,000 people? Because that's not really what it's about, right? Because you know, And you know what? That makes more sense to me when I read that. 
That makes more sense to me. When you start telling people, hey, be a Christian, but you might die tomorrow. You might be scores next week. You might be brutally mutilated. Hey, come to Christ. You might have to give all your stuff and pour yourself out a drink offering. Come enjoy Jesus. To me, that makes more sense to me that, oh, that's why he talks about this narrow road thing and this wide road thing. What's that about? Isn't it so plain? Now, here's the kicker. We get it. When you have spiritual eyes, you realize I get to pour my life in a drink offering and it's hard and it's difficult. And I just want us to be honest about that. Right. And you see Paul struggling, but there's joy. Praise God, because we're with our Savior, because we know that Jesus reigns and we see him working in our lives and we see him working in history and we're responding to God. And so although the world is saying that we're crazy for suffering like that, you're crazy for being in the in an inner city. <clears throat> you're crazy for for not buying the, the, the biggest thing you can buy and, and, and consuming, but you're giving and people are looking at you. And when are you going to get yours? Right. People are looking at you and wondering that. And then we fall, you know, sometimes we say, okay, you're right. And we start getting ours. And then God wakes us up and we go, okay, I'm sorry. And our life is like, oh, God, get ours. And, and that's kind of our life where we're like, oh, oh I get nervous. Can I trust God? Can I trust him my whole life? And, then, you know, and that's all of us, right? We kind of, we're walking with God and then we go, oh, you know, give, me, give me the big house. Oh, oh, I don't need the big house, but I can afford it. You know, we, we find ourselves going back and forth because we want to honor God. But man, the world tells you and screams at you, is Jesus really reigning? I want to tell you that Paul is saying yes. Paul is saying yes. And that we're looking at a text here, a guy who's in prison and he's lost everything. And he realizes it means absolutely nothing because he gained the greatest treasure. And that is Christ. If we have that tenacity, if we understand we have that hope, it changes everything. It changes how you minister. It changes how you neighbor, how you love. It changes how you treat your kids, how you treat your wife. It changes your whole trajectory, guys, doesn't it? Who are you going to be friends with? Who are you going to live with? What are you going to do? It changes how you, it changes everything. So the prayer for you to hold me accountable, for me to hold you accountable, man, let's see Jesus as our treasure. Let's look and understand that, man, a godly life gets us great joy. And we get eternity today with Jesus. But you know what it also gets us? It hurts. So some of you are hurting right now. And you thought, no, I'm a Christian. I shouldn't be hurting. I'm going, you didn't read those verses. We, We really thought Christianity was about us. We thought it was rounding out our, right? It's like you hedge, like a hedge fund. I'm just balancing myself out. A little Jesus, a little 401k, you know what I'm saying? A little, you know, nice, you know, suburban, you know, car. And and we think I'm rounding myself out. And then life keeps hitting you because you're, you're saying you're a Christian. And God keeps calling us on that, right? Be encouraged. I want you to leave here encouraged. Okay, come what may. Although they may slay me, I will praise your name. I want you to leave here encouraged, family. You're doing an internship and you're here and you're fighting for Jesus. I want you to leave encouraged, knowing that, man, nothing is wasted. We're singing this stuff, right? 
brothers coming and visiting. I want you to leave knowing, man, God is doing something. See, the reason why we're all here, and let me close on this, is because of what Jesus did with sin, what he did with our lives. He could have destroyed us, and he didn't. God sent his rescuer Christ for us. And so everyone in this room, the reason why we sit here and we sing and we're connecting with each other, we're trying to, we're wrestling with what we do with our finances and how we catechize our kids and and how do we be friends with people and how do we neighbor and and what does it look like to be a multicultural, multiracial, socioeconomic church and all this stuff is because because Jesus gave us a, he, 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 as a a song says, he, he, he picks you up out of the miry clay, set your feet upon a rock. You know what I'm saying? And he cleansed you and me, right? He, you were dead and then you were evil and he should have destroyed you. And the Bible says Jesus came and lived a perfect life and, and died on the cross for your sins and rose from the dead to validate his king. And he says, you got to jump through hoops. You go, man, but I got these horrible sin patterns. Even right now, I'm still struggling. I got these strongholds. Okay, Eric, when I, get, when I get done with the strongholds, then I'll become a Christian. You missed it. You missed the gospel. No, 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 no. God, God catches the fish, then he cleans them. You understand? Some of y'all are trying to clean fish, and they're still in the water. And you, Right? The Lord is saying, no, no hoops. No hoops. Jesus did all the hoops. Right? He played. He's the perfect one. He comes and says, now believe in me. So I want to tell you no hoops. Anyone in here? There's not a sin in this room where God goes, not that one. He says, come as you are. Those who are weak and heavy laden, he says, come and I'll give you rest. And so I'm asking anyone in this room right now, if you're down playing religion, you say, well, but how about can today? Well, what if I mess up tomorrow? That's the beauty of grace. That's what I love about I praise God for grace because I'm so messed up. I love grace that I mess up today. And then God says, the, day, the moment you mess up, I can experience God's forgiveness. He's not going, oh, you messed up again, Eric. No, he's going, you my baby. His, his posture is this, hugging, hugging. So come to Christ. Give your life to Jesus. Apart from Jesus, your life is fake. It's, it's, it's useless. It's evil. That happens by faith, right? By grace through faith. God gives us the grace to have that faith. I pray you'll receive it. And I hope um, as a local body, this body, specifically here in this text, you would be encouraged to say, Lord, I get what happens when we become a Christian and I'm excited. And just go out and continue to minister to the gospel family. Here's what we're doing. Think about it. Pray about it. Um, just continue to talk about it in our community groups. If you're not in discipleship right now, you've been coming here. We want you to lock arms with us. We want you in a community group. We want you to be eating dinner with us, talking about Jesus, growing in our faith, sitting down with, with woman and woman and, and, and being trained up, man and man being trained up. Like, don't just be coming here and hanging out. You can do it, but I want you, I want you to experience some family. I want you to have people in your life. That's my heart. All right, so I want you to think about being in discipleship with us. Think about, about growing and, and caring and connecting and pouring to other people, right? Not just about what God's going to do in, in your life, but also how God can use you in other people's life. If you don't know what I'm talking about, there's a discipleship pamphlet out back to your, um, to your left. But also you can talk to me, Pastor Leon, your elders here. You can talk to body members, our body. You can talk to anybody in our, our body. They know what's up. I trust our body. So um, please do so, okay? We don't want you just kind of going through the motions, all right? Uh, Tyler and offering is what we're about to do right now in communion. Okay, then we're going to go home.